When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. different and fun and exciting today. We are at a place called Scenic City Neurotherapy. And we are, I say we, because I have my friend Stephanie Evans with me. She's a nurse and she is in graduate school to become a therapist. And so we are touring Scenic City Neurotherapy with the owner and the certified registered nurse anesthetist, Charles Miller. Hello, Charles. Hello. Thanks for coming. I'm glad to have you guys here. Thank you so much. This is exciting. I've had clients ask me about ketamine, ketamine treatment, and I really didn't know much. So we just have toured the facility for 15, 20 minutes. And Charles gave us a little bit of the backstory of what ketamine treatment is and who it can help. So he's going to now share this to you guys, with you guys on the podcast. So um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what this is? And you also do transcranial magnetic stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell us everything you do, but we were super excited to learn about the ketamine treatment. So, And everybody is. Um, it's I think a reason people are so excited about ketamine infusion therapy is that it's there's a lot of information out there about it and they want to know what part of it's real what part of it's not what part of it's subjective Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what we'll start with so with ketamine infusion therapy it is ketamine functions as a catalyst triggering your brain's natural release of a protein called brain derived neurotrophic factor among other neuroregenerative proteins uh, oftentimes referred to in the literature as bdnf Mm-hmm. But this protein is neuroprotective when it initially releases and then neuroregenerative over a period of time. Can you That's... define neuroprotective and neuroregenerative Absolutely. in a simple way? Absolutely. Um, neuroprotective, meaning that it uh, preserves and facilitates communication in the brain in a very smooth and productive way. Mm-hmm. So that accounts for that initial relief people feel immediately following their ketamine infusion. But when they sleep the night following, the brain converts BDNF to its neuroregenerative form. And over subsequent nights, potentially 10 to 14 days after a treatment, the brain is continually regrowing and reawakening neuronal, neuronal lesions and growing new neuronal connections. Um, that yeah, and you explained that. Yeah, yeah, I like the way you explained that earlier. And I was trying to find a, a metaphor for it. Like, is it like scar tissue in the brain, or the neurons shut down? It's quite simply these neuronal lesions that develop with periods of heightened stress and trauma. They are just in powered down mode. They're not dead. They're not uh, unusable, but they do atrophy like a muscle that's mm. not being used. Um, the, when we reawaken these neuronal lesions, these areas that aren't communicating well, they start firing again. And the longer we keep them awake, the stronger they get till eventually they stay on without the need for continuous support, which is why we do a stabilization phase of six infusions over three weeks 
to keep the neurons lighting up and moving and, mm -hmm. and stimulate enough neuronal regrowth to help the patient uh, continue their progress forward. Stimulating neural regrowth. I love that because I picture the brain sometimes as a computer, but also sometimes as a tree with the branches and the buds mm -hmm. could maybe freeze over or look like they're dead in the winter, but then they re-sprout. So this is a well, bit like that's, that. That's actually a perfect example. Um, the tree analogy that we all use mm -hmm. in our advertising and our thought process, it's actually called dendritic arborization. Mm, so like arbor, arbor. Exactly. Tree. It's a, it's the like like imagine a tree that just has all these new growth and branches branching off and connecting the to other The dendrites are like the little sprouts that are yeah. like branches. Exactly. Those are the parts that connect to the other neuron, neurons in, you know, locally and okay. cr enhance the communication in the brain. So pathways, you know, if one pathway is inhibited or busy, it can divert to a secondary pathway and our brain is sending these signals. And I like the computer analogy too, because I oftentimes describe, you know, people ask what, what's the goal of all of this? I said, well, it's not about finding answers in the ether or reaching some sort of uh, psychedelic understanding of the universe, which um, uh, some of the misinformation out there has us leading it that way. This is a very physiologic change, but how the perception of it um, changes for the patient. It's like, I tell people, it's like we increase your processing power. So if you're a computer and you're running 10 programs mm -hmm. and these programs are bogging you down and you feel overwhelmed, which leads to depression and anxiety, mm -hmm. this is typically what we see in our patients. Um, we increase the processing power. So those 10 programs are still running. It's, we didn't change them. They're still pulling the same amount of energy from the patient. It's just the patient or the processor is better equipped to handle those 10 programs and maybe even periodically add in a few extra programs. Mm. So can you tell us some of the reasons that the brain gets those lesions or shuts down a bit? Some of the common reasons? One of the things that's always baffled, you know, mental health providers is that based off of the serotonin hypothesis, that it's a chemical imbalance, meaning that certain people through genetics or some sort of some sort of physiologic component the certain neurotransmitters are not being produced in the appropriate amounts. Mm -hmm. And so we created medications that stimulate neurotransmitters to upregulate to or, you know, to inhibit or stimulate some effect. Yeah, like a serotonin reuptake right. inhibitor. Exactly. Um, what we have found, though, is that the one thing that always broke the mold there was PTSD. Why could somebody be fully, you know, fully healthy today, go through a traumatic experience and then tomorrow their chemicals have all changed? Mm. It doesn't happen that quickly. It doesn't happen in that way. Um, and so what this does lead us to, well, you know, with the onset of the functional MRI, being able to image living human brains and watch functionality and blood flow, we're able to actually see that there's these dark spots, areas of the brain that aren't communicating effectively. If we see the, these dark spots occur more in the left prefrontal cortex, we're seeing more depressive manifestation. If we see it more in the right prefrontal cortex, we see more anxiety or manic-based manifestation. Mm, interesting. And there are some genetic differences, you know, depending on the person. But for the most part, just like we have arms in this very similar place or legs in a very similar place, our brains are structured in a very similar way. And so that's why with, say, you know, TMS therapy, we're able to list this protein release in a very focused way. We're actually able to target where depression exists in the brain. Uh, ketamine is a very global approach. It stimulates mm. that protein release in all over the prefrontal cortex, all in the different areas of the brain mm. to stimulate optimal global communication. So if, if I had to say 
Ketamine is the broad spectrum approach, which is why it has the highest efficacy. TMS therapy is a fantastic treatment, but it's it's um, it is limited to a very focused treatment area. That's really interesting. So one thing that you were just telling us before we started recording is what ketamine infusion treatment is, is basically ketamine is an anesthesia, a form mm. of anesthesia. And can you explain how it causes the proteins or, or just mm-hmm. the process of what happens with the proteins and how those help? Yeah. So ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. It was approved by the FDA in 1970. Uh, we use it in almost every operating room in the country. It's our, one of our go-tos because it's it's one of the few anesthetics that we use that preserve the vital functions. And remind me, dissociative anesthetic as opposed to what other kind of anesthetic? Um, like our sedating anesthetics. Some okay. anesthetics put the brain to sleep. Ketamine doesn't put the brain to sleep. It puts it in a disconnected state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's usually used in concert with these other sedating anesthetics in the operating theater. But, um, it's the, but the way it preserves the vital functions is that with you know, if, since we're not sedating the brain, we're not depressing respiratory drive, we're not depressing the heart rate or blood pressure. So ketamine is safe to give to everybody uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, unless there's you know, some direct contraindication. So you don't have to worry about your heart shutting down or stopping breathing because there's right. no sedating. Yeah, we don't have to put people on oxygen to get it because they, the respiratory drive isn't depressed. Mm-hmm. And so we're not having to compensate for that decrease in respiratory rate. They actually go into a kind of a steady state breathing like you do when you sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you infuse this the way someone might get a B12 infusion mm-hmm. or something. It, it, kind of, um, but it's um, it's a little a little more a little more acute setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we monitor vitals continuously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're monitoring uh, the patient throughout the process. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's a forty minute infusion process mm-hmm. uh, for mood disorders. So it's it's. Our goal is to make sure that the patient is getting the best possible treatment to get the best possible results, that this is done at the safest we can, we can provide it, and uh, above all, comfortably, because why not? Why can't it be a comfortable experience as well? Yeah, your so office is beautiful. Oh, thank you. We try. <laughs> can you describe what you mean by a dissociative mm-hmm. experience? Like- so, and this is, you know from multiple people telling me their personal experiences along with my own experience when I was taken through this process. Um, this ketamine infusion therapy, dissociation is feeling very present in the moment. It's like everything that happens before this moment and everything that happens after falls away. So from the patient's perspective, it's like they're, they're in the here and now and only here. You're able to feel one thing at a time. You're able to think one thing at a time. And essentially, it creates you as almost a god in your own mind. Hmm. You know, you've, it's very internal, not external. There's no hallucinatory experiences. There's no auditory hallucinations. There's, um, it's all internal. You go very deep external. within yourself. You used mm-hmm. the word cocooning earlier. Yeah, uh, a couple of patients used that, and I just I love the way they describe it. It's a bit like they feel. It's like getting into a hammock and you feel the hammock wrap around you, but the hammock is all you. Very insulated, yeah. like you're hibernating inside yourself. And the feelings, you can feel a lot of different things because you can feel it in a very safe and comfortable environment, things you normally wouldn't let yourself feel. So this is part of the part of the therapeutic nature of the experience itself is, is that, I guess, that comfort with just feeling things. Because when we struggle with our emotions, we try to just not feel anything because we're so worried that one of those negative emotions is gonna sneak in. 
Um, and so with our patients, they they like that feeling of just being in control of their emotional state. Hmm. Um, but that is just a side effect of the of the dissociative anesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, dissociation is itself can be very therapeutic for some. So are they by themselves in the room when they're receiving the treatment or is somebody with them? So what, what, what it actually looks like is we go into the room, we debrief with the patient, we uh, make sure that everything's good for the last treatment, or, you know, they measure treatment or I guess any uh, responsiveness to the treatment from the last infusion to today. Um, we start the IV, we put on the monitors, we make sure they're comfortable, we dim the lights down and uh, we put on some very relaxing music, so they have these headphones on, and we have eye covers if that's something that they're interested in. And then we start the treatment. At that point, if we as the provider will leave the room, if we sit there and stare at them the whole time, it's a tip that's not something that... It's kind of uncomfortable. It, it would be awkward for them. Yeah. Um, because the thing is, everything sure. under the... I felt like I was alone, <laughs> except there was someone staring, someone staring at me the whole at me, time. Yeah. Um, with adequate dosing for this process, and this is where we struggle with a lot of places out there, is that with optimal dosing, every single bit of external stimuli is very, very stimulating. Meaning knowing someone's there is all you're going to think about. Mm. You know, knowing somebody's in the room with you. You kind of hyper-focus on It is. Nobody's sitting there talking to you or... Well, if we were to talk to them at the doses that are recommended, they would be it would be very uncomfortable for the patient Um, now there are clinics out there that do what's called ketamine assisted psychotherapies or guided experiences to do that they have to decrease the ketamine dose to a suboptimal level meaning to the beneath the recommended dose Hmm. to get optimal release of bdnf so when you say it would be uncomfortable for them for somebody to be talking to them is that because the sound of a voice is would be hyper it's too much happening in the room it's like all of a sudden it, it, it'd be like normal it, for a normal person being in a room with a strobe light it's just we the job is to minimize all external stimuli we do what's called minimally stimulated ketamine infusion therapy compared to this is the ketamine psychotherapies okay. hmm. um we the and ketamine assisted psychotherapy worked with the original dosing standard that was set forth in 2012, which was between 0.2 and 0.5 milligrams per kilogram per patient. Hmm. Now there's some variability because, you know, if we take a little old lady who's you know weighs this much and then a young person who weighs the exact same thing, their doses will be very different because of how they metabolize the drug. Hmm. But it's you know it's by going just based off of that weight based standard you know for the as an average um you, at those levels yeah you could talk to somebody you could do ketamine assisted psychotherapy but the problem too with ketamine is that in a dissociated state you're very suggestible mm-hmm. and so that's where the guided experience falls more more closely related to a hypnotism mm-hmm. and this is why we see a lot of patients that go through that process usually fail around 2 weeks because after about two weeks, any you know anything you convinced yourself of during that dissociated state, because you're not at a heightened way of thinking, you're inebriated. Mm-hmm. It's like doing counseling on a drunk person. Mm-hmm. Is that ethical? Yeah. You know, if somebody came into the clinic being you know yeah. counselor, would you say let's do a counseling session right. while you're deeply inebriated? Mm-hmm. It's. But here's the thing: it's more is not always better. Adding more to the process is not always an improvement. Mm. Like we could add in counselors. Maybe we want to take a SSRI and then do this, and then we'll add ketamine. It's like it's not all better together. Mm-hmm. That being said, counseling is the other half of our process. Mm-hmm. I can't stress that enough. Without counselors, this is 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 not nearly as successful because 
after the patient goes through treatment, then they sleep and they recover. And in their fully functioning mind, that's when they talk to their counselor. It's like they're at, they're functioning at optimal levels. That's what we do. We deal with the physiology only. Mm-hmm. The psychology has to be guided. It's like doing physical therapy after a knee replacement. Mm-hmm. You know, if we take care of the physiology, we get the knee replaced. But if you don't do the physical therapy afterwards, mm-hmm. you're going to not get much benefit from this knee replacement. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you'll develop adhesions. There'll be all sorts of problems. And we'll have to come in and do surgery again later mm-hmm. because you didn't do the follow-up. Mm-hmm. Same with this. This is physiology. We get the brain functioning at an optimal level by stimulating your brain's very natural process mm-hmm. of self-optimization. We do that using ketamine as a catalyst or TMS as a catalyst. But however you get there, it's carried forward between you and your counselor mm. and any other any other adjuncts we can add to this process to optimize your outcomes. Wow. It's really cool. So I know you could, you know, list off some of the different issues or diagnoses that this really helps. I'm curious between some of the ones you've mentioned, whether that be dementia, depression, anxiety, trauma. I wondered about addiction, you know, other um, you mentioned at post stroke. Um, Are there more proven? Is there more science backing the use of this in certain diagnoses? I think because of the need with mental health, this is where it seems to have fallen, but we're starting to see that neurooptimization, which is what this essentially is, is beneficial in a multitude of areas, all the way down to just like life optimization. And mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned to you before we started, I've got a couple of providers that I treat that are in their late 50s, early 60s. They're not pulling the answers as sharp as they used to. They're not, they're not the best version of themselves, uh, and they feel, and they feel, and it's uh and so what they what they do is they go through this process and they actually come in for usually monthly or every other month boosters to maintain. And it's just keeping the brain functioning at an optimal level. So that's what neuro optimization is. Mm-hmm. It's just getting all those neurons firing mm-hmm. smoothly yeah. and the dark spots. Keeping your brain up to you know, up to snuff per se. You know, just keeping you the best version of you. Um, because as we age, the you know BDNF production slows. Your brain starts to atrophy. Just you know, from age fifty on, there's mm-hmm. no way around it. It's just happens to all of us. Mm. Um, it's a fight we all eventually lose. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. even if it's just you know up until death. Uh, the trick is is keeping yourself the best version of you as mm-hmm. we age, aging well, mm. aging optimally, because optimization is the highest we can get. Yeah. So if you had to paint a picture of how the brain might look using the tree analogy. How would, can you kind of describe a tree that looks like a brain might look before this treatment and how it might look afterwards? Um, I mean, it's, if you looked at, well, the functional MRI allows us to look at these brains beforehand and it is, it's disjointed. It's either there's a whole bunch of branches on one side and then none on the other or it's not balanced. Big big bald areas on the tree. Oh, yeah. I love that. Like that. Like, and so we want a tree that's equally distributed and full and has other trees nearby to connect to. Yeah, it's evenly balanced yeah. on both sides. Like, you know, there aren't like dead branches or branches that are wilting, like yeah. it's all more it's, lit yeah, up equally. Right. A healthy tree that's you know free of, of disease and, and branching from top to bottom. That's um, great. And that's what we essentially do. We tr- and the thing is, is the ketamine itself, and this is one thing I do stress, is ketamine itself has no antidepressant properties in itself. People think, you know, it, it, we see, we give you this and then you feel better. And I get that connection. But there's so many steps in between that cause, 
you know, that caused this physiologic change. It's the physiologic change we're working for. If we found a better way to trigger this, we would not even need the ketamine. So the ketamine produces natural proteins that well, it, help your brain yeah, rebuild it act, itself. Think of it like almost challenging the brain. By blocking mm -hmm. certain receptors in the brain, we block one pathway, which triggers the opening of a secondary pathway. So mm -hmm. it's like, so it's an NMDA receptor antagonist is what ketamine is. Mm -hmm. uh, we block your NMDA receptors and the buildup of glutamate creates, you know, causes stimulation of your AMPA receptors. The AMPA receptors, and this is gonna get a little thick, I apologize, trigger <laughs> a process called the mTOR pathway and through a series of events, the mTOR pathway triggers a BDNF release at the synaptic cleft where the dendrites connect. And so basically where your neurons talk is where BDNF secretes. And remind us, what does BDNF stand for again? Brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor, okay. And That's it so is cool. what your brain has used since before you were born to stimulate neuronal regrowth while we sleep through therapeutic conversation. So what you guys do actually stimulates BDNF release. Mm. Uh, through intimate conversation, through exercise, all of these things will stimulate your brain to secrete small amounts of BDNF, helping the brain to recover and creating that neuroprotective effect. And then when you sleep that night, that BDNF you release actually starts to stimulate repair of the brain. I love the hearing the that. I feel like those it's the physiology kinds, behind the yeah, psychology. Yeah. And, right. the, and then knowing the physiology, which most of us don't know, it, it motivates you to actually do it. Like when kids or adults, mm -hmm. you know, say, oh, I don't like sleeping. It's a waste of time. Exactly. If they could see what was happening in their brain mm -hmm. when they're sleeping or exercising. Um, actually, Stephanie here sent me a wonderful 12 minute video from a neuroscientist, an Asian woman, I can't remember her name, but about the benefits of the neuroscience behind exercise and the mm -hmm. physiology. So this is why I love to, when I tell clients about a holistic approach with taking all the really great supplements like D3 and B12 mm -hmm. and the omega-3s. You omega mean the building blocks it needs to build what it needs to build and be the best version of itself. Wow, the building blocks. Yeah, yeah. nutrition, sleep, exercise, mm -hmm. and you understand the physiology of it. You can visualize that, like what's mm -hmm. happening when you're exercising or sleeping well. It does motivate you to do better, but yeah. you still, I mean, even those that of us that know it's in, especially in medicine, mm -hmm. you know, do as I say, not as I do. And it's, uh, you know, I'm one of these, I struggle with the same thing, finding time with life and responsibilities to, to focus on that self-care, but really self-care is where it starts. Well, that's funny. You said that I worked with an ear, nose and throat doctor mm -hmm. when I was about 20 or so in college and several of the nurses that were sitting there suctioning out the, uh, what do you call it? When you the trach the yeah. tracheotomy, they were smokers. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? Why are you smoking? You're seeing what this does to people. Uh -huh. But yeah, so do as I say. And you don't even know this, Charles, but my podcast is called Never Perfect. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I love that you said that because, you know, That's we all know. a perfect know... name for a mental health podcast <laughs> yeah. because that is the truth. Perfection is truly unattainable. Right. But optimization is not. And that's what we say. It's it, Optimization is a daily choice. And that's mm. why we focus so heavily on that. It's like I tell people, I say, you can only give your best. You cannot give more than that. Mm -hmm. It's 100%. There's no possible way. So if you did your best today, yep. even if your best was just getting up, taking a shower, and then going back to bed, 
then that was one step ahead of just staying in bed all day. That's so true. And you know, yeah. what I love to tell people is that a hundred percent varies on yeah. your day. Yeah. Like I might be, if I have a headache or I'm depressed that day, then I give a hundred percent. It may not be as good as what I gave yesterday, but mm-hmm. it's a hundred percent of what I have today to give. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when people are going through loss or grief mm-hmm. and one of the testimonials I heard on your website was, you know, a woman who had lost both parents and a, and a sister mm-hmm. and she was just terribly grief stricken. And I can, you know, saw that her story about how much this ketamine treatment helped her. Um, but, you know, just that idea of when you're in a really low place, you just can't be hard on yourself. You do the best you can. Right. Right. Um, with with this process, it's so unique to the individual. Mm-hmm. Um Everybody's in a different place. I've got one guy, one young woman, she came in and the only way she dealt with her severe anxiety was she was running 18 miles a day. Wow. Um, She was an incredibly healthy young woman, but she said, this is cutting into my life because I started out having to only run two miles a day and four miles a day. And just, she said to get that, just that boost from exercise. It's it's like a drug. (laughs) It is. is, And she was self-medicating with exercise Mm -hmm. to the point to where she just said, this is not sustainable. Not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she responded beautifully to this process. Um, Well, this reminds me too. You don't know the subtitle of my podcast is with an ADHD psychologist because I have ADHD. (laughs) I think I heard that this treatment helps people with ADHD. It helps with clarity. It Uh helps with functionality. Um, Patients... A lot of my patients that start out with ADHD medication, they love the fact that after an hour they take it, they're functioning at a 10. Mm-hmm. They're the best version of themselves, and they love that. But then two hours after that, they crash, mm-hmm. and then they're at two. And so what we do uh, you know, helps them better maintain. Now, they never make it back to a 10 mm-hmm. on their own. And, I mean, they have periods where they bump up, you know, that adrenaline rush and whatnot that happens. If you're being chased by a lion, your adrenaline's going to fire and you're going to be a 10. But for the most part, we don't live, nobody lives at a 10. Yeah, you stay at a 6. We stay maybe. at a 6 to an 8, maybe. And I said it helps maintain that. So the ups and downs are less, you know, less high and then drop to the floor. It's right. You stay right in the middle. Um, it's about auto-regulation. So the, the enhancing communication, it doesn't change. You know, it's not just for one, like just for depression or just for anxiety. Even though depression and anxiety feel like two ends of a spectrum, mm-hmm. you know, they're oftentimes connected. And the reason oh, yeah. being because anxiety, if you look at look at how it mo- anxiety manifests physiologically in the brain, it's rapid moving neurons firing in succession over and over and over again. Depression is disjointed or slow communicating neurons. Mm. And so the brain oftentimes will flash between the two of these different scenarios. But what we do by smoothing out the communication process is we see it pull everything back to center. Mm. If I had to say that, what well, you know, like what neuro optimization is designed to do is help you feel things in a better way, not necessarily mm. feel better. Mm-hmm. Meaning that if your day to day life is a war zone, mm-hmm. you don't get to feel good. Mm. It's, we're not here to provide a false Right, you know, a, a false, false high sensation. or false happy, yeah. Um, the drug we give you is gone within two to four hours. No piece of it stays with you, meaning that any good or any change you experience is all you. Mm-hmm. It's, we trigger the natural process and we get out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that can go away. It's mm-hmm. something that does settle into a baseline to where if you do better, you feel better. And then if you neglect your mental health, you feel worse. If you don't change your processes, you're going to take all this new neuronal regrowth that we did and it's all going to go to reinforce all the negative things you've been doing, all, you know, negative mm-hmm. pathways. 
Um, it's a fantastic, coming through this process is a fantastic opportunity for a new direction in mental health. Mm, like yeah. I'm changing things now, we're changing our processes, we're looking at everything, I'm working with my counselor a little more aggressively in a very forward-focused approach. Mm-hmm. Instead of, uh, you know, we have to look back, we have to understand why we're here, but a lot of people understand why, how they got to where they are. And looking back is not necessarily pr- as productive. You know, right. it's important, you know, really most patients that I talk to want to set goals and start moving forward. It's like, I know how I got here, how do I get to where I wanna be? Mm-hmm. And that's what this helps them do. It facilitate. it kind of clears the path to where if they're willing to do the work and move towards where they wanna be, there's fewer obstacles. That's great. and I read that some of the people that have found that antidepressants and psychotropic medications weren't helping and they thought I'll try a you know less known a newer approach and mm-hmm. they found that ketamine infusions really might be the missing link for them it's you know the medications we use forever are really good for stabilization you know like if someone's in crisis we're able to put them on these medications and it kind of shrinks that emotional range, cutting off the high emotions and the low emotions to where you stay in this neutral middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is, is that neutral is not a great place to live. We need those high emotions and those low emotions. You know, we have something wonderful happen. We need to shoot way up high and enjoy that moment. We don't want a restricted range of affect right. or emotions. Yeah. Or if we have a loss, we need to be able to mourn and feel that low so mm-hmm. we can process. Feelings are how we process. If we don't mm-hmm. feel, we don't process. Right. We don't want to be zombies right. or numb. It's, or... I mean, it's so we're kind of the next logical step after stabilization. You know, if your feet are both on the ground and you're functioning, you know, but you're not where you want to be. That's when you come. That's where we come in is we're here to help you rebuild yourself in a controlled and productive way mm-hmm. to where you're able to feel the full spectrum. But you don't just feel. But in but the conscious mind, the logical side of your brain is in better control of the emotional state as opposed to. Um, the emotions kind of just running wherever they go, meaning that you're like, you don't just feel what emotions you choose to feel, but you, you get to choose how much of them you feel. Mm -hmm. So you're able to feel the full spectrum, but in a very controlled and controlled way, controlled by you. That's great. I'm curious about the, once you get the stabilization and you have mentioned the boosters, Mm -hmm. how, how long or you know, is this like a, I know it's probably based on each individual's situation, um, yeah, no, really yeah. but can you, it sounds like you, is there maybe, an average, a general rule of thumb, a general maybe? rule of thumb, or I think you may have already so, answered yeah. part of my question and that something, something that's processing in my mind is, can you do it too much? I mean, it, it sounds like you know it doesn't what? stay yeah. in your body too long, Honestly, but, yeah, but not because of a physiologic issue, okay. but because, because psychologically you stop doing anything outside of here. And every time you start to feel bad, you come get a ketamine treatment. That's not the answer either. Like an inappropriate this is an adjunct mm-hmm. to build you. If it's not building you, if it's just maintaining the status quo, then yeah, it can hold you here through hard times. So some patients, if they're having a terrible time, um, like if they're going through a divorce or they had a recent loss or something terrible has happened in their life and they're just needing that support, they'll come more frequently for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But then we discuss, so it's time to start spreading these back out, not because of any physiologic concern, but because you're using this as your crutch, it's a crutch right? because it can become that. And so we're very conscious about that with all of our patients. And we will make sure, is this something you still need? Because mm-hmm. honestly, I, you know, I don't want to waste your time or your money. Mm-hmm. This is a process. It's, you know, as far as boosters go, maintenance side of this, after stabilization of six, we usually schedule the first booster four weeks out. And then 
if you get to that first booster time and you get the notification, say, hey, tomorrow you've got an appointment, then you, if you're feeling great still and you're like, you know, I really don't feel I'm ready for my booster, you call us and say, hey, Push we don't, back. yeah, yeah, like I, I'm doing okay. I said, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Put your four weeks out from there. If you get two weeks after that and you're like, man, I really should have taken that booster, mm -hmm. then you, you call us and we get you in the next day. Mm -hmm. It's it's that easy. It's 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 there's no cookie cutter approach to mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we've failed in the past right. is by trying to say, well, you know, it's like you get 20 milligrams of this, you get 20 milligrams of this and I get 20 milligrams of this. This is not a, like we're very different people with very different physiologic and emotional needs. These this cookie cutter approach is not going to work. Yeah, you have to customize it for each person depending and yeah, on every single patient that comes to this gets a very different process. And you know, you don't have to keep upping it like you do. No, it does oh, have a I've ceiling effect. There is a keep upping the a, dose or upping the well, frequency. Or, there's mm -hmm. no because there's no risk of dependency and no physiologic mm -hmm. addiction, no need for a wean off. Right. There is a ceiling to where all of our patients will eventually reach. It's like beyond this dose. There's no more, no more benefit to be found. It's not more is better. Nothing in anesthesia is more is dead in anesthesia. Okay, that's like eventually you hit a point where we're in dangerous territory. And a lot of places will do this. There's places out there that'll give insanely high doses of ketamine. Um, wow. The oral administration of ketamine, you don't, you, when you take uh, like intranasal ketamine or oral ketamine, you get a fraction of the drug you actually take reaches the receptors you want to reach. Hmm. Meaning that you're not getting adequate stimulation or prolonged stimulation to get the full BDNF release, meaning that you cannot stimulate like you can with IV, which is the reason we only offer IV is because most people have only got one shot with. I can't offer a subpar method and say, here, we'll try this. And then if that doesn't work, then well, you can pay again and we'll try this. Mm -hmm it would just be milking people. Mm -hmm. um, there was a nasal spray that came out called S-Ketamine or, mm. or Spravato, came out mm. in March of 2019. They took the ketamine molecule, cut it in half and marketed it as a novel drug so they can charge $800 a dose now. Oh my goodness. It's the drug companies. Um, it was uh, Johnson & Johnson is the one that made it. Mm. And uh, it was it only comes in two doses. You got 56 milligrams and 84 milligrams. The problem with that is, is you get 56, I get 56, and you get 56. I clear, you know, physiologically, even just based off the most basic standards, I should get more than you because of just my weight, if mm -hmm. nothing else. Thank you. I like to say I'm it's super a, skinny too. Well, it is. I've got you, I've got you bean poles here, and I'm just, you know, I'm probably twice your weight over here. And it's like they Thank we would you. get the same dose. You understand? This is this is the this is right. the problem. Is Johnson and Johnson did this to try and capitalize off of this new science. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is right now, the gold standard is racemic or normal ketamine because S-ketamine is missing half the molecule, which is actually found to show to decrease the efficacy potentially from even compared to intranasal regular ketamine. Mm -hmm. um, but intranasal, you get somewhere between eight and 40% of the drug to the receptors you want to reach. And that is variable depending on your anatomy and how stuffed up your nose is that day. So, so much of it is unnecessary. Well, the rest wasted. of it, yeah. And then it, where does the excess go? It yeah. goes down the back of your throat or into your tissues. Um, anytime the drug lingers in the body for an extended period of time, we do start to see dependency develop. Higher doses necessary, things like that. Um, given intravenously, it provides us a stability and control. 
Now nobody likes IVs, and I get that. Yeah. Uh, you know, as soon as we can get around that, as soon as there is a better way, we will offer. But it. it's the safest way to regulate the amount that you're it's getting controlled. and it's, not waste. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, and people compare this a lot to say other what what they call psychedelic therapies, like psilocybin or mm-hmm. MDMA or whatever. The thing is, is that the psychedelic therapies aren't psychedelic therapies. They stimulate BDNF release by changing the brain's baseline in a completely separate way. Mm-hmm. So you say you take psilocybin, it really creates a hallucinogenic effect. It, it, anytime we change the brain's baseline, the brain will flood itself to protect itself with this protein BDNF. Now, how much it does that depends on how well we stimulate it over a period of time. Um, that is variable and less controlled with, you know, these illicit drugs as opposed to with, the, you know, the children's anesthetic ketamine. Hmm. And so we like ketamine because it's, it's safe, it's understood, it's, and it's easily administered in an IV. If you take a hallucinogen, you're going to kind of have to ride that out until it's out of your system. Hmm. With ketamine, at any point, we can stop the infusion and let your head clear. It takes about mm-hmm. 5, 10 minutes for the head to clear and about 15, 20 minutes for the body to catch up. And, and then you're kind of back to baseline. The effects don't linger as long and they're right. more predictable. Because in when we give a drug IV, 100% of the drug goes through receptors we're trying to stimulate and then it gets out. Hmm. It doesn't linger. In and out tissues. and it's done. Right. Yeah. So like you, you drive yourself here, you have your treatment. You have your treatment. But here's the thing. Well, I mean, this is where we do struggle is because two to four hours is the half-life of ketamine, meaning okay. that even though the psychedelic effects or the you know the the psych, you know the dissociative effects wear off very quickly, um, your reaction time is still measured in a way in a slowed down. And so we do ask that everyone have a driver to okay. their treatments. Okay. It's something that is just and it, we we're anesthesia. We worry for a living. Sure. Our job is to anticipate all potential problems all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we what we've done with this clinic is we have made sure that every single potential hazard has been avoided every single thing that can be optimized is at its absolute peak and optimized our process has been worked through a hundred times and every time new science comes out we update how we do things we've updated twice since we've been open in significant changes we've gone from a two-week schedule to a three-week schedule because there were several researches back a year and a half ago that said that some people who are slow BDNF producers need a little more time between their treatments. And so by taking it from a two to three week schedule, we give those people a little more time to regenerate BDNF in the, between sessions. So now the standard is twice a week for three weeks at six sessions. Yes. Yeah. Total that's, of the, six. that's, you know, it's, um, it's harder that way because it takes more time from, you know, the process is longer for the patient. Mm-hmm. But we have seen an uptick in our outcomes. Um, I mean, nothing, nothing huge, but it's a, it's a lot. When the more patients we see, the more our data starts to pan out that what we're doing is working. You know, by increasing, we saw about a five, somewhere between five and seven percent of patients more, like patients reporting lasting remission of symptoms, meaning at thirty days out, they're still in remission of symptoms. So that was a positive change. Yeah, that came out of the research mm-hmm. and. Uh, and as far as the dosage level, like making sure that our dosage is optimized in 2018, there were a dozen studies that came out that said that, you know, with this 0.2 to 0.5 is not optimal. If we need to be doing 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram to get the best results. Now, people that get the 0.2 to 0.5 still do better. So you'll still hear, hear success stories. It's just only 65 to 70% of people do well here, whereas 85 to 90% of people do well here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's... It's the most important thing is doing this to the highest standard of practice because it's not about 
you know, right and wrong. It's about optimal versus suboptimal. Yeah. And like I said, we got one shot with people. If we don't give them our best, then we've failed them. Yeah, you want to choose the most effective regime possible, and the science is always being tweaked a little bit. But mm -hmm. you were saying this had been studied at Johns Hopkins and Stanford and various the places. The smartest people in the world have studied this. Mm -hmm. This is not pseudoscience. This is not fringe science. This is not um, Joe Rogan. You know, mm -hmm. as, as much as people love Joe, he has done more to spread misinformation about what we do here um, compared to... Than, than just about anybody. And it's mm -hmm. because people who are non-medical, like I said, look at the, I had an experience and then there was a change. And I get that seems to be the case. But for the most part, like I said, this is this is mappable, measurable ch physiologic change in the brain. Mm -hmm. This is not something that is that you can think your way out of. If it was, you could do this without ketamine. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, you know, mood disorders are physiologic. I promise you, every single person that struggles, if they could have thought their way out, they would have by now. Mm -hmm. So you definitely feel there are there is a place for antidepressants and psychotropics. It's I think it was a great starting point, but mm -hmm. I think we're moving farther and farther away from that. Uh, you know, if you look at the actual research and the actual efficacy studies with antidepressant therapies and psychotropics, it's around 35 to 40 percent of those patients report some improvement in symptoms. Mm -hmm. um, there's nowhere else in medicine we accept those numbers, mm -hmm. but it was the best we had. Right. Now that we understand the brain better, I'm hoping to start to see a greater shift away from that. Now for stabilization, I'm, I'm not discounting what our psychiatrists do and, mm -hmm. and they're prescribing and everything. I'm, I'm, they're definitely an essential piece of this process. Mm -hmm. But understanding that there's that there's more than just holding the status quo now, and that's mm -hmm. what I want them to understand is that patients have to be ready to do better. And that happens with the psychiatrist when they get them stabilized. Once they're stabilized and they're ready to say, I'm sick of this, I'm ready to move forward, then we can take them forward. If they come to me too soon, they're not ready. You mm -hmm. know, if they're not ready to do the work. And so it's because my process is a lot of work, whereas medicating is kind of holding things steady for now until we're ready. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I do think they have a place, but I don't think that they're, I don't think that those medications are the future mm -hmm. psychiatry. That's helpful to understand. And so going back to the tree analogy, if you had to describe what happens with an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication, what happens on that tree versus your earlier description? We get a whole lot of reinforcement of one limb. Okay. So we're not adding new limbs. We're actually overworking this one limb until eventually that limb will break. Hmm. So with antidepressants, we hold certain neurotransmitters in the synaptic cleft or between the two the two brain cells that are talking, and that either inhibits or stimulates some effect. Mm -hmm. Our goal is to control how much the patient's feeling or how low the patient's feeling by increasing communication. But the thing is, it forces rapid overstimulation of that neuron. That's why when someone takes too much of an SSRI, they will start to feel anxious mm -hmm. because that neuron that was disjointed and not firing well is now firing rapidly because we're forcing communication on a damaged neuron. And then eventually the brain cell, the brain will do what it always does is when a neuron's firing rapidly for a long period of time and not being productive, it will turn off and create a new neuronal lesion. So what we do see is that with SSRIs, SNRIs, um, it might burn out that we're concerned neuron. that, yeah, we're, we're actually progressing the problem over time. Hmm. Like, oh, it's good for short term, 
but not a good long-term fix. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Well, I can't think of any other questions. Oh, I do know that you said that, you know, this is typically at your office and probably most, it's an upfront self-pay, but insurance often covers 20 to 40% of the cost afterwards. Yeah, because there's no codes for the use of anesthetics in the treatment of mood disorders. Um, anesthetics have to be tied to some sort of surgical or medical procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, since we're not doing those here, we can't do that. So what we do is we bill it like a simple infusion. We provide all of our patients with super bills that are pre-coded and ready to go. Mm -hmm. And we have a process to help them submit it to their health insurance. Hmm. Um, we, we have uh, somebody whose only job here is to facilitate that process to help them get as much as they can back. Now, we talked about the cost, the cost of treatment. It's something that we don't, uh, we don't try to hide at all. It's on our website. Mm -hmm. It's $350 per infusion for a mood disorder treatment. Uh, so that means stabilization of six is $2,100. Mm -hmm. If you pay it up front, we pay, it only costs 2000 or we take that $2,100 and we can spread that out over an extended period of time to make the payment affordable and comfortable for the an patient. An interest fee free yeah, payment yeah. plan. There's no interest. There's no down payments. It's really just an agreement to pay. No credit checks for the patient. It's just an agreement to to go to to stay with us and pay. Um, this uh, we want to make sure this is accessible to anybody who can benefit, mm -hmm. and that's a big piece of our puzzle. Is that we're very big into our community here in Chattanooga. I was born at Erlanger. My dad was born at Erlanger. Mm -hmm. I lived here forever. Wow. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't live anywhere else. And so, uplifting our community in any way possible, especially mm -hmm. the lowest in our community, lifts us all up. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this is really exciting and it's been very helpful. I think I'm an expert now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not an expert on anything, really. Um, well, thank you so much, Charles. Appreciate um, your time. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for talking. Hey, guys, I always love talking and anybody that ever wants to talk, all education's free. Uh-huh. Um, that's why we don't charge anything for consults. Like some people, if you come in for that quote-unquote free consult, it's, if you don't sign up that day, it's a $90 fee. It's ours is quite simply free. You get an uninterrupted hour with one, me or one of the other providers here. Um, and we go through this start to finish and how it will work with you. And so even if you don't sign up, there's no pressure. It's more just so now you know what you're working with. Yeah, just an informed yeah, what decision. what your options are. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much. One more little add-on. We're chatting. You guys can keep chatting. Stephanie found Wendy Suzuki is the neuroscientist who has the, is it a YouTube or a TED Talk? called The Brain-Changing Benefits of Exercise. It's only about 12 minutes. It's very worth watching.